Hi, I'm Dan Permac, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Be safe, venture wisely. Today's Tuesday, September 8th. Stocks keep going down, mortgage refis keep going up, and we're focused on the politics of vaccines. Americans don't agree on too much right now, but one thing almost all of us want is a safe and effective vaccine for COVID-19. It's how we get back to the office, back to the classroom, back to regular life. It is, quite literally, our society's salvation. Well, so long as most of us take it. And therein lies the problem. There was always going to be a segment of anti-vaxxers, but there are now very real concerns that tens of millions of Americans will refuse to take the vaccine, any vaccine, namely because they believe President Trump will pressure public health officials to approve it as a campaign stunt, not because the science is settled. Trump opened this Pandora's box last month, suggesting that a vaccine could be ready by November 3rd unless the so-called deep state interferes. Over the weekend, he again hinted it could come by Election Day. For those who already don't trust Trump, these read like giant red flags. This includes vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris, who told CNN that she wouldn't trust Trump on any vaccine released before the election. And then she added this. I will not take his word for it. He wants us to inject bleach. No, I will not take his word. Joe Biden, for his part, said he would take it, quote, tomorrow, word available, but added he wants full scientific transparency. In short, all of this is a massive mess and one that could undercut all the good a vaccine could do. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with public health expert and former Obama administration official, Dr. Zeke Emanuel. But first, this. We're joined now by Dr. Zeke Emanuel, a former Obama administration official who currently chairs the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. So Dr. Emanuel, let me just start here big picture. From what you know, do you believe that the White House is pressuring the FDA to possibly approve a vaccine ahead of the science? Well, we know that lots of hints have come out of the White House, right? That we're going to have something from the president that the CDC tells people be ready, you know, tells the states be ready to distribute a vaccine on November 1st, two vaccines on November 1st. So there does seem to be a lot of preparations around this. And we've also seen that at least on several occasions, hydroxychloroquine and most recently convalescent plasma, there has been extreme pressure. The FDA buckled under the pressure and then had to retreat in both cases. So you got to be pretty suspicious that they're putting enormous amounts of pressure on. They can't approve something which isn't uh, ready to be approved. For folks on the outside, what is it you're going to be watching for to feel confident or not confident that the vaccine actually is safe So the first thing you want to know is that the data safety monitoring board that's overlooking the trial actually has approved this application, that they looked at the data and they said, yes, this data is convincing that the vaccine is safe and effective and we should go forward. We should remember there's no way you're going to have sufficient safety data because that typically requires six months with 3,000 people. And if you're talking about October, we're not going to have six months of 100 people. So remember, we should clarify, this is not your normal FDA approval. 
This would be an emergency youth authorization, which is a very low, much lower standard than the normal. We're approving your vaccine because it's proven safe and it's proven effective. If by November 3rd, but theoretically, at least when you look at when Moderna and Pfizer started enrolling patients by year end or say by the beginning of next year, in theory, we could be talking about wider distribution at that point, correct? Uh, The answer is a definite maybe. (laughs) The answer is definite maybe. Look, Dan, everything depends upon how many people get exposed to COVID and convert, right? And that is left to nature. You and I can't determine that. Now, we can make models about how often people get exposed. As an example, I talked to someone earlier today who's in New York. Well, the chance of someone in New York getting exposed to COVID, pretty low, actually, because New York is actually doing pretty well. It's not like Iowa or Missouri at the moment. And so, you know, how often as this virus moves around the country, people are going to be exposed and therefore you're going to have conversions. That's unknown. I assume you heard Kamala Harris's comments over the weekend about not trusting President Trump vis-a-vis a vaccine. What were your thoughts about those comments and kind of the news cycle that followed it? (laughs) Yes, I heard those comments. And yes, I heard, you know, lots of attacks on her. Look, I think this tells you how serious the problem is of trusting the FDA as an independent agency, which is going to make the evaluation on the basis of science. It's already become politicized by the president's tweet storm around convalescent plasma. Did Senator Harris, from your perspective, make the politicization worse by her comments? I think what you need, Dan, is for them to put out the data that they're looking at, make it fully transparent. Here's how many people got COVID, and here's how many were in the COVID vaccine arm, and here's how many in the others. And then we're going to have a lot of people with good qualifications weighing in on that. Statisticians from lots of reputable universities, infectious disease experts, and that is what's going to give me confidence, looking at the underlying data and making sure that the determination was made properly by the FDA. Again, go back to the convalescent plasma case. What made the uproar? That Steve Hahn put out a statement that even the researchers on that study said, this isn't what we said. We don't agree with this. And that's what the worry is about that's going to happen at the FDA, is that they're going to say, yes, this study suggests that this is an effective vaccine. And in fact, the data may or may not convince that. I will tell you another thing that is, I think, reassuring is if the career staff there is pretty clear about this. You know, a group of the vaccine developers this morning pledged to prioritize safety, et cetera. They came out with a statement, which seemed to be in response to kind of this Trump comments, Harris comments, et cetera. Does it matter? Yes. I think they have a big stake in a reputable FDA that is seen to be reputable by the public. Remember, they sell a lot of drugs. And if people are beginning to doubt that the drugs have been approved because they're actually safe and effective, that threatens their underlying business model. And I think they understand that it's super important to them to have a FDA that is credible to the public. So I think they're reemphasizing how important that is. And we're all counting on Steve Hahn to have a spine here and to stand up for the integrity of the organization. Over the weekend, I uh, spoke to a source who kind of uh, straddles the healthcare and business worlds and asked, they said, who do you think the Biden-Harris ticket is listening to when it comes to issues of science and the vaccine? Your name came back. Are you advising the campaign on these issues? 
Well, I've been on their healthcare task force, but their healthcare, uh, not their healthcare, their COVID uh, task force, but I haven't been asked for a judgment recently. There've been a lot of questions, you know, about election day voting, and you came out with some kind of a report the other day, which kind of suggested that even without a vaccine, going to the polls on November 3rd should be the equivalent in terms of safety to going to the grocery store. Could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So if you're standing in line six feet apart, like you are at grocery stores to get in, if you're wearing a mask and everyone else is wearing a mask, you don't stay inside for a long period of time, but just to vote. If the voting pads and stuff are wiped down with cleaned and disinfected, it should be like going to the supermarket and grocery store, which I have ranked as, you know, low to moderate risk and or medium risk. And I'll tell you, I do it once, twice a week, and I don't think it's a problem. And so I do think that Americans, given all the other risks in our life, this is a risk well worth taking. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What a lot of us watched over the weekend was Mulan, Disney's live action remake of its 1998 animated classic. But what's getting media attention isn't so much the fight scenes, but rather a note in the credits that several of the scenes were filmed in the Chinese region of Xinjiang, which is where Uyghur Muslims have been rounded up and held in concentration camps. It is a region of China with great geographic beauty, but also one that film studios have regularly been denied access to by the Chinese government, and right now, one film studios might be best advised to avoid. I asked Axios China reporter Bethany Allen Abrahamian for her thoughts on Disney and the Chinese government's decisions. Well, their decision to film there is not a good decision. If they just wanted sand dunes, they could have gone literally anywhere in the world for sand dunes. The Chinese government wants to make Xinjiang into a big cultural attraction, a tourist attraction, and they want to be able to present, you know, Uyghurs, an ethnic minority there, as part of the tourist scene. Perhaps, you know, this is the Chinese government making an attempt to see how that might work out if they can get Xinjiang on the big screen. They seem to me, though, to have vastly underestimated the terrible reaction that Western audiences would have to a Disney movie being filmed on location of an ongoing cultural and demographic genocide. We're also continuing to watch the continued gridlock in Washington over a new stimulus. Senate Republicans today announced plans to introduce a so-called skinny bill, which means it will have some money for some things, but far less than what Democrats want. In response, Senate Minority Leader Senator Chuck Schumer called it an emaciated bill and suggested it will not pass. The bottom line, there's been movement, but it's movement like the kind you make when running on a treadmill. And finally, today we are giving kudos to Margaret Norris, an elementary school teacher in Rockville, Maryland. When the pandemic began, she and several of her colleagues went grocery shopping, collecting around 100 bags of food for hungry students and their families. But she didn't stop there. She kept going, largely thanks to donations she solicited via social media. And each week, she now helps pack and deliver 150 bags of groceries. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national ampersand day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.